earlier this week, I was absent-mindedly reading a biblical commentary on Hebrews. And I was doing it in that way that I'm sure at least some of you, if not all of you, are familiar, where one part of my brain was thinking about the words in front of me. And then this other part of my brain back here was making out my grocery list. And right here I was thinking about the really complicated school schedule we're dealing with with our kids. You know how that goes. But as I read, I came across these words. With the seductive pre- with the seductive pressures of a materialistic and violent world bearing down on them, they had become burned out, discouraged, apathetic believers. Aha. I thought someone is addressing the malaise of the 21st century. This heavy feeling that we in the church are battling left, right, and center. Suddenly, the commentary had my full attention. I wanted to know how our text from Hebrews this morning can fortify us against this modern-day problem. How can we fight apathy? Then I went back and read the sentence right before that one. The author of the commentary, Susan Andrews, was talking about first-century Christians. First-century Christians. They were just the second generation of believers, and they were just removed from the passion and intensity of the early movement, but just enough removed that their interest was already starting to wane. It is to that community that the letter to the Hebrews was written. This letter is passionate and even hyperbolic, if such can be, in its adoration of God and Christ. We read in our church from Hebrews three times during Holy Week every year and once during Christmas because the emphatic language of it makes it such an appropriate partner in dialogue for the heightened Christology of those seasons. But the language that is on one hand so emphatic and passionate, on the other hand, holds us at arm's length. Hebrews, at first read, is like the stuff of judgment and ultimatum. It is, if I am honest, the kind of things those other denominations believe about falling into sin beyond restoration about being at the mercy of a vengeful God. This is not the sort of thing that we who put our faith in a loving, forgiving God tend to want to snuggle up with. But here's the thing. Despite what Paul writes about eternal judgment, despite his admonishment and hard-to-swallow instruction, he does not believe the community of the Hebrews is beyond redemption. They are wandering, but they are not lost. It is his job, Paul believes, to inspire them back into the fold of rapt believers, those who will usher in the kingdom of God with the depth of their faith and the strength of their conviction. They were such people once, and Paul knows that they can be so again. Which brings us to the 21st century. 
There is so much for us to get distracted by. There are so many other things for us to care about. There are so many other gods that sneak into place in front of that one that matters the most. There are so many reasons for us to lose sight of why we are called to be faithful people. There is so much standing in the way of simply getting here on Sunday morning, standing in the way of taking care of the poor and needy, standing in the way of giving of our resources wholly, with joy, and without hesitation. There is a lot in the way. I know. Believe me, I know. And Paul's response to all of these half-hearted, half-truths about the half-attention to our half-faithful lives is to remind us fully and passionately and completely that we are not in control. In the letter to the Hebrews, Paul is reminding us that judgment is not ours. Grace is not ours. Forgiveness is not ours. Not even our place in the cosmic order is ours to claim. All of it is God's. All of it. Paul reminds the community of the Hebrews this 2,000 years ago. And through them, we are reminded today. And here's the important thing about the way Paul addresses this community of fumbling, stumbling believers. As polemical as it sounds, as forceful as Paul's words are, he has not given up on them. Paul knows that this community can thrive and grow in numbers and in faith. He does not think they are beyond redemption. This community to which Paul is writing, these Hebrews he addresses, they are already converts to Christianity. They are baptized believers. And even more than that, they are teachers of the faith. They are evangelists. They are already witnessing to others and baptizing new members. But they were also living in a time of widespread persecution of Christians. And while Paul's letter suggests that they were probably not being tortured or killed for their beliefs, they were subject to public ridicule and suspicion, cast out of the upper echelons of society, barred from many of the best professions, all for their professed belief in Jesus Christ. And on top of that, they were frustrated. They were frustrated by the delay in the return of Christ. This was a community, you must remember, that was taught to expect the return of Christ at any moment. Any moment. And I can imagine living as if any moment could genuinely be the rapture had to be exhausting. And so, it seems, they had gotten faithfully lazy. They made excuses for not practicing the tenets they taught. They found reasons not to be present as members of the community. After a while, their laziness melted into apathy, 
and they found that their lives had a little less meaning and a lot more going through the motions. Does any of this sound familiar? These are the people to whom Paul addresses this letter. These are the people to whom Paul addresses this letter. To all of us who find ourselves drifting away from that which is of ultimate worth, through no event or action, just inattention. Paul knows that life here on earth is better when we pay attention to our faith in God. He drives that point home over and over throughout this letter. He will not let the Hebrews off the hook because he knows we are worth saving. Paul knows that not only are we not yet totally lost, he knows that with us in it, the community of Christian believers is better. Each of us, every one of us, brings something to the community. He, in fact, starts this letter as we read it today by reminding us of our special position in the kingdom of God. We are the stewards of all creation, lower than the angels for just a little while. We are crowned with glory and honor. We are brothers and sisters to Christ, whom God sent to be with us, to be like us. We have no excuse for apathy and laziness in our faith lives. There is nothing greater than God. Paul does not believe us lost, but he does urge us to examine our lives, to turn time and attention and resources to those things that reflect God's glory, that reflect our status as only a little lower than the angels, that reflect who we are as brothers and sisters of Christ. Unlike Paul, I am not going to preach hellfire and damnation to try to shock you into taking charge of your own faith life. You're welcome. <laughs> but I will urge you into passion. I can't find it for you, but I can encourage you to look around and find it and then tap into it. There's plenty of passion in this community for living a life of faith and prayer, good work and fellowship, Turn yourself toward it. Shed your apathy. Live a life as one crowned by God with glory and honor. You are worth it. Amen.